Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25, please, verses 3 through 4. Um, So I'm going to take about eight minutes here to talk a little bit about what's coming ahead, and then we will end our time with the Lord's uh, Supper. Uh, This verse, these two verses, will serve as as a kind of compass for us uh, in this coming year. If you've not seen our church's strategic plan yet, uh, let us know. We'll email you a copy of it. We can print one out for you. We'll include it in the next e-newsletter that goes out this coming week. So if you don't get that, make sure to leave a welcome card with your information before you leave today uh, so that you can be sure to have that. Though the members are uh, a part of discerning and putting this plan together, it is for the whole church, and so we want everybody to have access uh, to that. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verses 3 and 4. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. This is the word of God. This is our seventh year as a church coming up, and so this is a passage that resonates with us as we think about what God has done, and what God will continue to do in the coming years. Uh, Jesus grew up in the region of Galilee, the northern region in Israel, and it was an agricultural region. It sits next to the lake of the the Sea of Galilee. There's um, orchards of olive trees. There's uh, grape vineyards. uh, There's fields of, of grain. It's an agricultural area. And so Jesus and his disciples and his family and People who Jesus knew would hear this passage from the Hebrew Scriptures, and and they would resonate with it. It They wouldn't have to use their imaginations too much to think about land needing Sabbath rest. They understood this. They were, by and large, people who were connected with the land. People whose families for generations previous had been connected to the land. The difference, though, is that the passage in Leviticus assumes that the person working the land also owns the land, that the person caring for the land probably lives on the land or close to the land. The passage in Leviticus assumes that the family has passed this land on from generation to generation to generation. There's a closeness, there's an intimacy to this relationship. The passage assumes that the family would know what the land needed. That the family could, could read the land, could read their fields, could read the seasons and the weather and the soil and knew what the earth itself needed. But in Jesus' day, that had changed. Because in Jesus' day, the people existed under Roman occupation. <clears throat> so there was a Caesar who demanded huge taxes from his subjects. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm fighting a cold. And the people had been taxed into poverty (coughs) to the point where some families had to sell their land. In fact, archaeologists say that in the Galilean region, there were very few (coughs) landowners left who lived on their land still. The land had been sold away. The people who owned the land maybe lived in another country, maybe lived in a big city, maybe likely were not Jewish people themselves. So the Jewish farmer and family might still work the land, but it wasn't theirs anymore. 
They rented the land. They were tenant farmers. The person who owned it, who maybe lived in Rome or Jerusalem, whose family didn't have connection to the land, who didn't have the heritage and the story, this person didn't really care about the land itself. This person only cared for what? For what the land could produce. For what he or she as the landowner could get from the land. Take from the land. Consume from the land. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between the assumptions that people originally would have had for the land and those in Jesus' day? The seventh year for us is a chance to be very thankful There'll be opportunities throughout 2017 for us to hear testimonies, for us to celebrate God's faithfulness to us over these past seven years. Raise your hand if you've been at New Community since day one. Raise your hand up high. Up high, up high, up high. Okay, raise your hand if you've been at New Community at least four years. How about at least two years? How about at least a year? Different ones of us have different stories all along the way. We need to hear those stories. We want to be thankful for those stories this coming year. So we're going to be thankful. But we're also going to do, and this is important, we're also going to do a lot of reflection as a church. We're going to do a lot of reflection about our relationship to the land. About our relationship to this place, to this community, to this neighborhood. I want you to hear this very closely. We need to ask as a church what our relationship to this place is. Is it more like the vision in Leviticus of a people who know the land, who've been formed by that place, who are deeply invested in the health and the well-being of the place? Or are we like those landowners in Jesus' day who maybe came occasionally to the land to get something from it, who maybe came occasionally to the farm in order to exploit it, to take something from it, in order to make sure that everything was going okay. What's our relationship going to be long-term with our immediate community? Nod your head if you're tracking with me. We've discerned together as members that it's time for us to reflect honestly on those kinds of questions. Yesterday, we um, had prayer around the schools, and uh, six of us or so walked around the neighborhood and prayed for the school. And myself and Marquita and Dennis were late because Marcus distracted us. We probably distracted him. That's probably, I should have put on him. But we ended up standing and talking in front of Kennecott here for about a half an hour. Just kind of catching up, hearing from each other. And Marcus just started sharing stuff that's happening in our community, in the neighborhood, things related to uh, gun violence, people who uh, he knows who've been uh, lost to gun violence recently, opportunities uh, to serve our young people, very specific uh, issues that different ones of our young people in our neighborhood are facing. The only way those kinds of conversations happen, the only way that you and I know 
about those sorts of opportunities and challenges faced by our community is if we are actually present to our community. It doesn't happen any other way. Marcus happens to be pretty busy. It's hard for me to schedule a time to sit down and talk with him. But if we happen to be in the same place at the same time, we're going to have a good conversation like that. And I'm going to learn something important. And each of you has different stories like that that you can tell related to our neighborhood and our community. What sort of a relationship is God calling us to have to this particular place? Will we be a church that comes here occasionally, that shows up at scheduled times for scheduled events, and then retreats and returns to regular life? Or will we fall closer to the vision that we see in Leviticus of a people who understands their connection to the place, to the people, to the history, to what God has done for a long time over many generations in this particular place? Will we be more like those people who understand that their fate is wrapped up in the fate of the land, of the place, of the community? Will we be a people who comes to see over time not what we can get, not what we can take, but how our lives are intertwined in a holy and beautiful way with the community itself? Are you, who's tracking with me? Can you do that? To me, that sounds really nice. That sounds really good. But I want to say that I think it's going to be very hard. We're pulling back from some things this year in order to create space for reflection. So one way of looking at our strategic plan was this will be an easier year. I want to suggest that for you and I, it should be a particularly challenging year. Because the things that keep us from having that kind of conversation with Marcus yesterday are the things that you care deeply about, are the things that matter to you, are the things that fill up your calendar and your checkbook. It's where you spend your time, it's where you spend your money that keeps you and I from being more regularly present and available to our community. So even though we're reflecting and being thankful and opening up some space, I hope and I pray for a profound sense of conviction in my life and in your life that we would hear clearly from the Holy Spirit what needs to go? What do I need to drop? What do I need to reprioritize? How can I increase the margin in my life to the extent that I can be present? You know something crazy? We schedule our all-church retreat 11 months in advance. We communicate the date of our all-church retreat 11 months in advance. Every single, I don't know if I should be telling this, Romelia. Every single year, a handful of you will come up to me a month before the retreat and say, it's on that day? It's happening, oh, I'm sorry, I can't, I've got a thing that I scheduled three weeks ago. I love you. I do. I 
have that tendency in my own heart as well. I say that just to say that this plan involves us looking closely at ourselves and asking what kind of church has God called us to be. If it's a church that is going to be more intentionally and regularly present, it will cost each of us. Each of us will find things that need to go, find small things that need to be reprioritized so that the margin can increase and our presence to one another and to our community can be more available. So we're going to do our best as leaders this year to lead us through that, to create space for those conversations and reflection and thanksgiving and prayer. But this plan will only be successful to the extent that you're willing to fully engage with that kind of discernment in your own life. Does that make sense? Now, if you remember, you've already heard this, and by voting I a minute ago, you've sort of committed to this process. But this is for all of us. Whether you're a member or not, we all want to engage and discern this together. And what I want to say, my hope and my prayer, is that at the end of this process, we'll be a different kind of people. We'll be a more rested people. We'll be a less frantic people. We'll be a kind of people who can maybe get together with each other without having to look up our phone two months from now about what date works. We'll have the space in our life so that when Pastor Michelle stands up and says, hey, there's a prayer vigil three days from now for a young person who was killed, most of us can say, we'll be there. That's important to us. And you can think of other examples like that. We'll discern that together. We'll walk into that together. But think about this land. Think about this place. Think about this community and your relationship to it. Amen? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to come to the table together. So, Lord, we thank you that you chose to be present to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you did not remain a long ways off. Thank you that you are not a God who just occasionally uh, checks in but that in Jesus, you took up residence among us. That in Jesus, you didn't stand apart, but that you came near. And we thank you for your spirit, who has made, um, has made your dwelling among us, in us. So... Help us to think of this coming year not as a ministry strategy, not as a thing that we should or are supposed to do. God, would you help us to think of this coming year as an opportunity to learn more about you, of the God who is present to us, of the God who has drawn near to us. We desire, as best we can, that our lives together would reflect and model your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.